Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 5 to 13 here this morning. 5 to 13. Not a long text, my friends, but the importance of this, this chapter right here, this section, is undeniable. I have a question for you. What do you know about faith? The word faith. We are called people of faith. The body of all of the teaching of the scripture is called the faith. Faith is significant. And so I ask you this. What is it? I mean, what is faith? I mean, something we need to understand here, my friends, is without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if you would desire to please God, you better understand what faith is. So what is it? Some of you have heard about it all of your life. Oh yeah, put your faith in Jesus. Trust in God. But what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, we're going to find out in this passage like no other before. Faith is a pretty important concept for the people of God. And it is my hope that we can learn something about faith this morning that will cause us to evaluate ourselves and that will encourage us to live by faith. Here in verses 5 to 6 where we start out, we see in, the, in a man's life that it seems that the primer for faith, the way to learn faith is to pray. To simply ask. We recognize our needs and we know something about God that He has asked us to pray, that He is good, that He is powerful. And so we pray, Our Father in heaven, we ask. You'll notice here there is a man who comes to Jesus with a great request. When he, that's Jesus, had entered Capernaum, now because you may not have memorized the map of Israel, you'll notice it's a long, skinny kind of country, and up in the northwest, northeast, I'm sorry, there is a lake, and next to that lake is Capernaum. This was the hometown to Matthew. And perhaps some of the, many of the other disciples, Peter and James and John, they were from that vicinity, this was like going home. But when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. He had a request. Now the, the term centurion tells us what his job is. He is a Roman soldier and he is over 100 other men. Centurion, makes sense, right? And so this guy is a leader and he knows he has a need. Take a look at what this need was. He said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Look at this description. You don't even know this person. You don't know if it's a man or a woman. But what you know is this person was in a really bad place. Paralyzed, suffering terribly. And so what we know about this man is he believed Jesus to be good. 
He believed Jesus was compassionate, that he cared about others. Perhaps he had heard the stories. I mean, in verses 1 to 4, Jesus had just healed a, a man with leprosy. If we move on to chapter, uh, the end of the chapter, 14 and forward, we see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He is a man of compassion. He is a good person to come and ask. You know what else he do? We know about this guy, what he believed. He believed that Jesus was able to do it. So these are truths that he accepted as true, and in light of those, true, those truths, he acted on it. That, my friends, is faith. And so he came to Jesus, appealing, and he lays out the problem. And then we get to learn something about the object of his faith. On what basis did he come to Jesus? Well, you will notice after that simple laid out request, Jesus responded and said to him, I will come to heal him. Show me the way. I added that last part there, but here is Jesus willing to go and heal this servant. Now, Jesus healed people in various ways. You know, mostly his healing took place with touch. As I mentioned, the leper that took place at the beginning of this chapter, he reached out and touched him. And you will notice at the end of this chapter, in healing Peter's mother-in-law, he touched. But I'll tell you what, friends, there were other ways. Sometimes people simply touched him. Oh, if only I could touch the fringe of his garment, then I will be healed. It happened according to their faith. One time, Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud, and put it in a guy's eyes who was blind. An unusual way to heal, but mostly the way that Jesus heals is he is there and he is active. And so you might expect that if you were asking Jesus, oh, come and heal my mother, come and heal my children, come. But take a look at the inter interaction here. Notice, if you will, in uh, verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, I'll tell you what, friends. We all have a bit of... Uh, is the word. Well, I have forgotten it completely, so we'll come back next week. And <laughs> yeah, we, we like to have things and hold things and, and think. I just heard something recently. If you take a piece of paper and you put it under something and then you pray that God will answer yes, as if God could be manipulated. But we like to do that sort of thing. You know, if I hold a cross in my hand, if I'm, if I'm near something, if I'm in a church, it's more holy in there. We, we like the dearness. But not this guy. This guy says, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. And perhaps this man knew that for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile would make him ceremonially unclean. But notice what he says. For I too 
for I too am a man under authority. You see, the centurion trusts the very words of Jesus. If you say it, it will be done. How's that for faith? Faith in the very words of God. And then he explains, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. You see, one uh, one with authority does not need to be present to accomplish a task. He simply commands it, and it happens. That's some serious faith, my friend. This is the kind of faith where you want to underline, you want to circle this passage, you want to go back, you want to read this again. And the reason you want to do that, my friend, is because of Jesus' response. And here we have seen, my friends, the introduction to this man's faith, his prayer, Jesus, heal my servant, the object of his faith, the very power of Jesus' words and his authority. But now comes the celebration of his faith. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 20. When Jesus heard this, He marveled. I want to challenge you to find something else that Jesus marveled over. Go ahead, search the scriptures. This man's faith made Jesus stand back and go, Whoa. And then he makes this statement. Truly, he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I seen such faith. Exceptional faith, amazing faith. He took God at his word. You say it, that's enough. Absolute confidence that what God says he will do. Astounding. Now you'll notice the result of his faith at verse 11. I tell you, many will come from the east to the west and recline at the table of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's he talking about here? In light of the demonstration of this man's amazing faith, Jesus recalls that not only haven't I seen that kind of faith, I haven't seen much at all. See, he's talking about the nation of Israel here. This, this statement, the sons of the kingdom. He's talking about Israel. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. He came to the nation of Israel. He made a new covenant, a new covenant that included Gentiles as well. Friends, we just studied the book of Romans. We know this stuff. 
what he's saying is this. If you don't have this kind of faith, you will spend an eternity separated from God. Look, we know what the gospel is, right? We know it. It's clear. It's not that complicated. We get it from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sin. Wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. We're all to die. And we know that death means separation. We are separated from God because of our sin. Ultimate separation from God. Separation from his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his grace, and his mercy. And that, my friends, is hell. And that will be a place, my friends, if you have a concordance at home, look up those, what are those terms? Gnashing of teeth. Whew. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. <coughs> Matthew repeats those words over and over again as a reminder. This kind of stuff should scare us. Because earlier when I asked you what faith is, and in your mind you went, well, it's, uh, uh, friends, if we don't even know what faith is, how do we know we're even saved? I grew up in the church, and I heard the gospel and all kinds of stories in Sunday school, the Old Testament, the exciting things. And I accepted them as true. And had I lived my life merely accepting these things as true, I would spend an eternity in hell. Because, my friends, faith is a whole lot more than just accepting something as true. It is absolute dependence, confidence, conviction. I absolutely hold on to this and nothing else. My friends, this man, you say the word, that's enough. I believe, this is what I believe, and you could tell because I'm living it out. <laughs> I'm not asking you, well, your words are enough, but come on to my house anyway and let's see what we can do. Absolute confidence that what God says is true. So my friends, the penalty for no faith is eternal separation from God. It's hell. One of the scariest passages in the Bible for me is Luke chapter 16, and I constantly reference it. You remember the rich man and Lazarus? Both of them die. Rich man ends up in a place of torment. And you may recall, he cries out, Lord, send the Lazarus to dip his finger in some water to cool my tongue, for I am in torment. And the answer is no. No relief for you, friend. And hear what he cries out from suffering. They'd go to my brothers lest they end up in this place. Friends, if you do what that man do, 
you would be an evangelist. You would be knocking on doors. You would be grabbing strangers and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. If we knew the lesson of Luke 16, we would be different. Well, there's the result. I tell you, many will come, but what about the reward of faith? Here it is in verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The servant was healed at that very moment, just as Jesus said. Absolute confidence and conviction. Biblical faith, here is a definition for you. It is the confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. He is the only kind of God we could trust. One who is eternal, all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. And if I could add, he is good. We don't trust people we don't know because we've known too many people. Yes? We've gotten burned. Remember that time at junior high? Yeah, just let me see it for a minute. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Biblical faith. Saving faith is a confident trust in an eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. So friends, I commend you to evaluate your faith. What are you trusting in? I go to church. In Matthew chapter 7, I think verse 26, Jesus said, Many will come to me in that day, and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and do incredible works, and we had that really great worship service, and I used to help after the service and clean up, and I... And he will say to them, I never knew you. Cold and hard into the mirror, my friends. What are you trusting in today? What are you confidently trusting in this day? What are you holding on to with all of your conviction? Evaluate your faith. What, if anything, is the object of your faith? And what is God like in your estimation? If I ask you, what is God? Tell me about this God that you serve. Bill would say, well, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. It is being, it is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He'd be right. Thanks for that thumbs up back there. Know your God. You say that you believe. 
know him. Because I'll tell you this, the more you know about your God, the more you will hold on hard to him. The greater your conviction, the greater your faith. And I'll tell you this, friends, you want to grow your faith? Faith is something that grows. Remember Abraham? Talk about a man of faith. I'll tell you what, the Old Testament holds him up. The New Testament, it says, this right here is our example. Father Abraham, God made a covenant with him. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Remember that covenant? He said, I am going to bless you. And out of you, I am going to make a great nation. And I am going to bless that nation. And anyone that blesses you, I will bless. But anyone that curses you, I will curse. And through this nation, I will bless all the nations of the world. And you know what he asked them to do? Take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer, to him, offer him to me as a sacrifice. I can't even imagine, I can't begin to imagine how difficult that was. I mean, God had already made it clear that this nation would come through his son Isaac, this miracle child. But up the hill he went. Hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Oh, God will take care of that. Don't worry about that. To the point he put him up on the altar and raised his knife. And you know what the Lord said? Stop. Now I know that you trust me. And he provided a ram. He knows whose faith is even more amazing? The guy in this chapter. I don't have to see it. You say it, that's enough. Father, help us. Help us, God, that we would grow in our faith and our understanding of who you are. Oh, God, give us a voracious appetite for your word. At every moment available, we would pick it up and read it and study it and talk about it, that we might know you. It is your will, certainly, you've given us your Holy Spirit to give us eyes of understanding to understand who you are, what you have said, and what you will do, that we might live accordingly. Help us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.